Good evening, friends. It's good to be here with you. Um, I am thankful for this opportunity to open the scriptures with you tonight. If you will, please take your copies of God's Word and open them to Matthew chapter 25. It's been announced that we'll look together tonight at the parable of the talents. In Matthew chapter 25, and the text we'll study is verses 14 through 30 together. But before we do that, um, I want to say a word about the larger context of the passage. Okay, so if you will uh, turn back to chapter 24. And we'll discover that uh, t- we'll discover tonight that the parable subsequent to what Jesus says in chapter 24, those parables all are related in the f- in the sense that they all have to deal with um, an eschatological uh, um, coming. In other words, they all deal with the time when the Lord will return and our preparedness for that day. So all of these parables. Um, that Jesus conveys to the disciples subsequent to chapter 24, verse 1, all are related in that, in that way. So if you look at chapter 24, again, I want just to help us understand the context. In chapter 24, uh, verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And that that statement of the Lord Jesus then begins to occupy the minds of the disciples. And so as we read down to the, in the next verse, we find them asking a very important question. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? All right, so then the Lord begins what we have, we have, determined, we have termed the Olivet Discourse. And so everything subsequent now, including the parable we'll study, uh, is part of this Olivet Discourse. And as I said, this, these are eschatological parables. They concern the time leading up to and including the Lord's return. And just a, just a quick view of chapter 24, you'll see the headings in your Bible, if you have the ESV Bible, um, looking at verse uh, to, to, further, um, to further discover and show you what I'm saying. Verse 30, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. So you see there in that setting, again, he's talking about the second coming, the return of the Lord. Down in verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven or the Son, but the Father only. Again, referring to the second coming of the Lord. And then down again in verse 38, Uh, Nine, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
And again, in verse 43, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. And that's all part of the parable of the wise and wicked servant. So I think I've made my point. All of these parallel, uh, parables, now since the question asked, when, uh, what will be the sign of thy coming? When will all these things be? What will be the sign of thy coming? All these parables then deal with the Lord's return. So what I want to do tonight, I want to um, read the text together, discover with you what the passage says and what it means, and then make some uh, observations. Uh, as you probably know, you've been told many times from this pulpit that the, uh, the parables uh, are in our understanding of the parables and how you interpret them, there is usually one main theme that the parables deal with. And it's not our purpose to uncover every stone and every rock, but to see what, what is the Lord meaning in the giving of the parables? What is the main thrust of this parable? And we hope we will tonight discover that in the parable of the talent. So let's read together, beginning then at verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had, uh, his master said to him, I'm sorry, I lost my place. He who also received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. 
So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And before we look into these things together, let's again bow and ask God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word before us. We thank you for your undying love and faithfulness. We thank you that you are the covenant-keeping God who keeps covenant, who says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Lord, tonight, speak to your people through your word. Encourage us. Encourage us to labor on while we have time to use those things that you've given to us for the furtherance of your kingdom and your glory. Bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we've already said a little bit about the context. I'm going to go a little little deeper into um, this. So the immediate, con- we talked about the broader context. Now the immediate context of the parable of the talents. What's the connection with this passage, these, these verses 14 through 30, with what goes before? The previous parables told of ne- the necessity of preparation and watchfulness. We have the parable of the ten virgins, and you remember the five wise virgins were prepared. They had, they had enough oil. The, the, the bridegroom had delayed his coming. The foolish virgins ran out of oil. They were unprepared. So that was that parable. The parable of the, uh, the wise and the wicked servants as well spoke of unpreparedness for the return of the master. And so these parables dealt with the necessity of preparation and watchfulness. But this parable, the parable of the talents, this parable deals or speaks of the necessity of activity while we are preparing and watching. That is, we are to be active while watching. We are to be doing, not simply watching. William Taylor in his commentary on this parable says, Our watchfulness for Christ's coming is not to degenerate into idleness, but while we watch, we are to work, each in his allotted sphere, with the talents wherewith he has been entrusted by God. So you see, there's the difference between the parables that come before and this one. This is a parable which teaches us we must be working and laboring for the Lord while we wait. Robert Trench, in his commentary also on this passage, says, while the ten virgins in the parable preceding, while the ten virgins are represented as waiting for their Lord, We have here in the parable of the talents the servants working for the Lord. That parable enforced the need of keeping the heart with diligence. This one, the need to give all diligence 
in our outward service if we would be found of Christ in peace at the day of his return. So you see how this parable then is contrasted with those before and, and the importance of activity while we wait. Now let's identify in the passage the various characters and elements, okay? And this is where you can really get into the weeds when you try to interpret parables, but I promise you we will stay out of the weeds. So let's identify the various characters and elements. The master, of course, is who? You can speak. Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the master represented in the parable. Who are the servants? In the context, who are they? Who's the Lord speaking to? He has an audience. He's not speaking in the air. The disciples, all right. The disciples, in that context, it's the 12. It's the 12. Remember when we looked at verse uh, chapter 24 and verse 3, he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him, all right. So all of these words, he is, he's uh, communicating to the disciples. They are the servants in that context. But beyond that, the servants are all who identify in some way with the Lord Jesus Christ. So that includes us. That includes us. We are also the servants in the parable. We have two classes of servants, profitable and unprofitable. And so as we go through, you should be asking yourself the question, as I ask myself, am I the profitable servant or am I the unprofitable servant? Which servant am I? We have the master, we have the servants, and we have the talents. What are the talents? Well, we know that um, in, this, in this epoch in the New Testament here, what we're to understand as a talent would be a, an amount of money, an amount of silver, and uh, not an insignificant amount of money, a very, rather large sum of money. But that, that is not, that, that is not the, the, um, the only meaning of the talent. The talent in the parable, as we interpret it, as, as we understand it, talents are opportunities of service that Christ has given to all who come in contact with his word. All right? These are opportunities of service. Here, understand service the service we are to render as bond servants, and the talents are the opportunities we have to serve our God. And so, as I said, ask yourself, what am I doing for God? As you sit there tonight, as I stand here, what am I doing for God? The parable wants us to ask the question, what am I doing for God? with my gifts and graces for his glory? What am I doing for God with the life he has given me? To what extent am I using my gifts and graces for him? That's the question we should be asking. You see, not only breaking God's law, like we've been 
We've been, in, been listening to Pastor Mark's sermons on the Ten Commandments. Not only breaking God's law and committing murder and, and adultery and stealing, not only those things are wrong, but so is omitting good deeds to the glory of God. That's also wrong. And that's where this parable, this is the heart of the parable. What are you doing for God? What are we doing for God? How are we using the opportunities, the talents that we've been given? And then another element of this passage is the going away of the master. And of course, this represents the withdrawal of Christ from the earth and his, his, his death, his uh, resurrection, his ascension. We're to understand that he's instructing his disciples and that they're being prepared for his withdrawal from the earth and then his return as he comes back and he settles accounts with them obviously is his coming again as we said these are eschatological parables what about the trading of the servants the one with five traded for five more the one with two for two more etc what about that well the trading of the servants in the parable represents the use with which these servants the use these servants made of the privileges and opportunities given to them by the master. They were equipped with these opportunities when he left. They traded for more. This is how they used what they were given. And then the final element of the parable is the treatment of the servants by the master. And the treatment of the servants, the rewarding of the one with five who made five more, the one with two with two more, the one with one who was judged for his idleness. The treatment of the servant by the master identifies the basic principles upon which all men will ultimately be judged. Basic principle upon what upon which all men will be judged. What have you done with what God has given you? So those are the elements. Those, that's the identifying of the elements and characters. Now, what is the parable teaching? What is the parable teaching? Number one, the parable is teaching that there is a diversity between individuals in the matter related to their opportunities of service in the cause of Christ. There's a diversity between individuals. And we see this in verse 18, or 15, excuse me. To one he gave five, to another two, and to another one, and this is the key, to each according to his ability. To each according to his ability. There's a diversity between individuals in this matter of talents and their opportunity to serve in the cause of Christ. This is seen in the parable in the verse I just read. The distinction of the five, the two, and the one at first looks like inequality or unfairness. But see that qualification that we looked at, the qualification to each according to his ability to each according to his ability. What does this mean? Again, I want to quote William Taylor. He said, no man 
has more opportunities of service than he can avail himself of to the full. And every man has just as many as he can use with advantage. That's what it means. God gives to every man according to his ability. These talents are sovereignly dispensed by God. Each has precisely what is fitted to his ability and circumstances. From him who has received more talents, the full improvement of all he has will be required. But to him whom fewer have been given will be held responsible only for those that have been conferred upon him. You see, we're not responsible for what God has given to others or to question any question that there may be inequity or unfairness with God. But we're to make full use of whatever it is that God has given us. Everyone is endowed up to the measure of his ability. And it's expected of us, brothers and sisters, that we use that which we have received. God will not give you more than you can use to the full, nor will he give you less than you can use in his service. The man with one talent may not be able, will not be able to fill so wide a sphere as he who has five. But he can fill his own sphere, and that is all that will be required of him. God will not require of you if you don't have that ability. But if you do, he will require it of you. So a correct view of that principle will keep us from pride on the one hand and thinking, oh, God's given me all of this opportunity, all of this talent, I must be really special. No, to whom much is given, much is required. More responsibility. So, on the one hand, it'll keep us from pride and it'll keep us from discontent on the other. You may look at your brother, your sister, or you may look at others in body and say, they're really gifted. They really have, they're really useful for God. They're really doing things for God. I wish I could do that. God is, not, God is not keeping score in that way. He only expects you to fulfill the, the opportunities and responsibilities that he's given you, each according to his ability. And know further, know this further, that new opportunities will come when we improve the ones we already have. How do, you, how do you get a wider view of the horizon, you hikers? How do you get a wider view of the horizon? You have to hike up the mountain, right? And as you hike up the mountain, step by step, you begin to see a wider view. And so it is with our gifts and talents. We improve, when we improve the ones we have, then more opportunities will arise. That's a good lesson for any of you aspiring to Christian ministry. Take opportunities to serve God in whatever capacity you're asked. 
Start with the little things. And as you improve those, is that not the lesson here in the parable? You were faithful in little, now I'll give you much. But the opportunities come as we improve the ones we have. We see here that there was an obvious expectation by the master that the servants would take what was given them and use it to gain more. Two of them did and one of them did not. This principle holds true in the natural world and even more so in the spiritual. But the principle is true To him that hath shall more be given. The true method of increasing our sphere of usefulness to God is to fill to overflowing that in which we are. And this increasing of our sphere through diligent and faithful service yields with it a foretaste of the award of final judgment. When the matter, when the master will say, as he does in verse 23, well done. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What does that mean? It means that the reward of heaven, and that's what we're talking about here in this eschatological parable, the reward of heaven is a wider sphere of service than earth could ever furnish. Furthermore, it's without the weariness which is here, the consequence of labor, and with a fuller fellowship in the joy which Christ has in doing the will of his Father. So the bottom line, faithful service widens opportunity both for now and for the life to come. What do we learn in the parable about the result of neglecting our opportunities? What did the man with one talent do with his talent? He didn't waste it. He didn't spend it on a profligate life. He didn't go living it up, spending it on liquor and women and partying but he went and hid it he went and hid it he simply did nothing with it as we said as we said earlier the expectation is or was for this man that he would use what was given to gain another. But he neglected his opportunity. He did nothing with them. And so, this was not the doing of a a positive wrong, but the neglect to do that which God had given him the means of doing. This was not the commission of grievous sin, but the laving undone of that which we have the ability and opportunity to do. 
investing his life for God never, ever crossed his mind. This one, the one with the one talent, simply wasted his life. What was he doing when he could have, should have, been investing what God had given him? And so the lesson here out of the parable is that one need not do positive evil to lose one's life. Rather, simply do nothing. By simple neglect of the opportunity given by God, our soul may be lost. This was the case with the man with one talent. And I would say to anyone, any of my young friends here who may still be outside of Christ, who have not come to faith in Christ, in this matter of Serving God, there is no neutral ground. You're either on the side of the men with five and two talents or you're on the side with the man with one. There's no neutral ground. He who's not with me is against me. So let's look a little more deeply at this servant. The servant with the one, given the one. Let's look more deeply at him. What reason did he give for, for burying his talent? What reason did he give? Master, in verse 24, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. What was his problem? He held wrong views of God. He was afraid of God. He didn't know God as he truly is. He said, I knew you were a hard man. He had wrong, a wrong view of God, a wrong opinion of God. And again, quoting from William Taylor, he said, those who neglect God's service do so because they cherish Wrong views of God himself. They are afraid of him as an exacting taskmaster. And therefore they try to do as little for him as possible. Whereas if they only loved him as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his son that we might be redeemed, they would feel that no service which they could render would be adequate to express their gratitude. All wrongness of conduct in the end is the result of wrong views of God. This is the bottom line with this servant. He failed to serve God because he failed to acknowledge him for who he is. All right, so we've seen, we've looked at the words... We've looked at the meaning, and I want to, in the next few minutes, apply some of this teaching. First of all, I want to say that God is just and reasonable in his expectation that his servants invest what he's given them for the promotion of his glory. 
I'll repeat that. God is just and reasonable in his expectation that his servants invest what God has given them for his promotion, for the promotion of his glory. What do you have that you have not received from God in terms of your talents, your opportunities? What do you have? And the answer is nothing. All that I have I give to thee because it all has come from thee. What is anyway your chief end? Is it not to glorify God and enjoy him forever? What does it mean when the scripture says and gives the imperative, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God? And this is not unreasonable of God. It was not unreasonable. It's not unreasonable for us, brothers and sisters, to give back to God, to invest in his service, whatever it is that he has given to us. So again, look at your life. Look inside for a moment. Look inside. Do a sober self-assessment of your life how has God invested in your life what opportunities has he given you what gifts and graces that might be used for his service are there maybe you're using them maybe you're you've using them to the max but perhaps you're not Perhaps there are, there's a talent buried. Examine your life. Examine yourself. The second thing I would say is that God does not require more from you than he's given you. And that's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because he's given you everything. So what does he require of you? everything that he's given you. To each according to his ability, soberly assess your talents, but God does require a return commensurate with the gifts that he has endowed us with. And so it's important then that we do not neglect the gifts that God has given us, the opportunities of service that God has given us. After a sober self-assessment, ask yourself, where am I falling short in my service to God? And don't, don't, don't stop your ears don't let that one roll off your back. Where am I falling short in my service to God? Because you are, and so am I. It's not possible for us, brothers and sisters. It's not possible for us to use to the max the gifts and graces, opportunities 
that God has given us. You're falling short. I'm falling short. We all are. We have not served God as we should have. We have not returned to him in like manner what he's given in gifts, graces, and talents over our entire beings. And this is a sad and stark reality. When we've done all that we can do, we are still unprofitable servants. But I want to encourage you. The good news is that our works, though imperfect and stained with the fingerprints of our remaining sin, nevertheless, our works are received based upon the righteousness of the one man alone who ever served God perfectly. In Jesus Christ, our weak, incompetent, incomplete, insufficient efforts to serve God are received and set to our account as God does his accounting. In verse 34, and here, here I want to get close to the, to the end and encourage you. Notice what happens after the parable of the talents. At the final judgment, verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, hey, there's the sheep and there's the goats, the sheep on the right, he'll say, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he, he goes on to say, I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger. You welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous are saying, wait, um, no, we, yes, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my little ones, you have done it for me. Brothers and sisters, yes, yes. Your efforts to serve God will fall dreadfully short. They will. They will. But in that day, if your efforts are to serve your God, in that day, you will stand with those to whose account will be laid all of these good things. And the Lord God will say, Come, ye blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you. I just, I want to encourage us. Are you getting, are you getting all you can out of your life in service to God? And, and it's not for lack of opportunity that we don't serve. It's not. We can look across this room, we can look at one another, and we can see so many opportunities to serve God. You ladies with little ones who, who day after day grind it out, changing diapers and, and wiping snotty noses and washing laundry and folding clothes and ironing clothes and cleaning houses, 
That's a work you're doing. You're doing that for God. See, these things were not, these aren't super human things that we're talking about. It's just, just faithfulness in devoting your life, whatever you do, to the service of God. And though we're weak and though we fail and we stumble, we have that promise. We have the one who is perfect, who has perfectly done all of it, that we can put our faith and trust in. I encourage you to do that. On the last day, on the last day, God will require an accounting from the faithless and the unbelieving. And there's something wonderful to look forward to to the people represented by the, talent, the, the man with five and the man with two, but there's something dreadful and awful for those who find themselves represented by the man with one who hid his talent. The sentence was pronounced upon him, take the talent from him. The opportunity was wasted. The opportunity was lost. And in the, contents, in the context of the last day, when the Lord in this context says, in that day, it's going to be like the days of, of Noah, when they're eating and drinking, carrying on, giving in marriage, taking in marriage. Life as usual, life as normal, and then it's all of a sudden at one time, the time will be up. An opportunity for life with God will be lost. Either well done will be heard or cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. These are the only two destinies that will divide men at the last day. And the determining factor is what we did with the light that was given us. Those who spurn and reject the gospel light do so to the peril of their eternal soul. And no excuses will be accepted. God will hear no excuses. Not like, just like the master here. Lord, I knew you were a hard man and I, I knew you could get your own with interest so I just buried it. No, no excuse will be heard. So, the parable speaks to us to be prepared. The parable speak to us, speaks to us for the need as, wa- as we're waiting, as we're waiting, as the Lord tarries. While we wait, we work. We work. And I want to appeal to you, my brothers and sisters, finally, to do everything you do in your life with a view to the final day of the Lord's coming. That day may not be in your lifetime, but it will be soon. And on that day, all opportunity to amend our record will be gone forever. 
And we will either live or die spiritually with the choices that we have made during our lives. So, believer, labor. Labor to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Labor. In whatever sphere God has put you, labor to hear well done. Keep the day before you. And if there is an unbeliever in our midst, friends, labor not to hear. Depart from me. Turn to Jesus for pardon from your sin. He says to all, come to me and I will not cast you out. Brothers, I hope you be encouraged. This was, not, this was not intended to discourage you, but to encourage you that all of our labors for the Lord are not in vain when we devote them to him and for his glory. May God be pleased to help us with that. All right.